You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is my interview with the writer and director of The Hummingbird Project, Kim Nguyen. How straight are we talking about here? Whatever's in the way, we gotta dig through. It's gotta be a totally straight line. Mountains, straight. Rivers, straight. Swamps, straight. Straight, straight, straight. Can I ask what the purpose of that line is? Our purpose is to get the stock market quotes in like 16 milliseconds, which is one millisecond faster than everybody else right now. Okay. Mm then what happens? Roughly $500 million a year. Why didn't you go to Eva Torres? Eva Torres uses human beings like disposable assets. I can make your life hell if I decide to. You want to buy a 12-inch strip off of my property? Under your property. It looks like they're building a fiber line between CACs and the New York Stock Exchange. I know, Jenny. I am looking at it. We're gonna do this in less. I already told you we can. Oh, yes, we can. You think she's trying to build her own line? Oh, I just made half a million dollars in five seconds. We can't let her beat us. I'm doing everything I can! Tell me your dream, buddy. Country home on a hill, small road, hummingbirds. All right, say it again. Country home on a hill, small road, hummingbirds. I know you can do it. Yeah. Okay. Somebody rigged our network. Champion! Mr. Zaleski. Mr. Zaleski, stop. You betrayed me. Now you have to pay. Why is she putting up cell towers? They're trying to screw us. I'm gonna tear you down. I'm going into my meeting right now, but I'll call you in two or three hours. Um, could you send all the paperwork over to my office? I'd love to have this done by the end of the day. Just think of it as David walking onto the floor of the stock exchange, taking out the biggest slingshot ever, and bringing Goliath down to his knees. We're David. Yeah. Yeah, we're David. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and today I have joining me the director and writer of the new film, The Hummingbird Project, Kim Nguyen. Kim, how are you today? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing really well, actually. I'm uh, happy that Oscar season is over and looking forward to <laughs> some new crop of films in this new <laughs> landscape. So yours is uh, one of them that has just recently popped up, and it's something that, uh, admittedly, was not so much on my radar. Um, it kind of came out of nowhere when I saw the trailer for it, and I thought to myself, wow. What? Yeah, I was, I was like, this looks like a tremendous amount of fun. And this is a very interesting project, and I definitely want to talk a little bit about it, but I actually want to first give our listeners a sense of who you are. So if you could, just if you could tell us really quickly how it is that you got into filmmaking and what ultimately was the genesis of the of the project, the Hummingbird Project. Yeah, sure. I mean, I was uh, I was born and raised in Montreal. I uh, and when I was in high school, just found out about this like abandoned uh, photo darkroom, and uh, it was almost like uh, like that kryptonite space where Superman like uh, was born. And because it had all of these chemicals, and I just once once I did my first picture and I saw the the picture reveal itself from the chemicals, I just got hooked on capturing images. 
and I had always loved writing stuff. So I guess it just came together, writing stories with pictures. And then went on to film school and directed a first feature, which was called The March. And over a couple of years, went on to direct a film called Warwick. That's really the movie that, for me, brought me on the international scene. Story about child follow soldiers. We shot it on location in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And from there on, you know, I joined CAA, uh, started working a little bit on perfecting my written English. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm French-based in Montreal. And yeah, mm-hmm. I directed a call to the Hummingbird Project was something I wanted to address the, the madness of our financial system. And at the heart of it, it's like something I think we can all relate to is these guys that want to be successful, but they kind of get lost in like what success means. And, you know, the fact that they're working in the, uh, in the financial system doesn't help that madness. So I wanted to, through that story of those two cousins who tried to get an edge on the stock market, um, I'm exploring these guys who actually literally try to build a 1,000-mile-long fiber up tunnel to gain a single millisecond off of the time of their transactions on the stock market. Which I want to just preface by saying uh, two things. One, um, if, if you have not seen War Witch, uh, definitely check it out. Nominated for an Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. And two, when I watched The Hummingbird Project, Kim, I have to tell you, when that movie ended, I instantly asked myself, okay, which book is this based on? <laughs> and <laughs> to my shock and amazement, this is not a true story. This, this all came from your mind. And <laughs> I have to say, I, I was thoroughly impressed by that, sir. It, it was oh, something that uh, completely shocked me because you have some really uh, detailed information in this movie that makes it all seem like you pulled it out from some sort of source material. Well, let's be honest. I mean, there's a middle ground here. It's like, you know, I think you never write a script all by yourself. And I had, read, I had read some articles about people who were digging tunnels, fiber optic tunnels, to try to gain edge, an edge on the, uh, on the stock market. There was like a, a movie, a, a great book that would talk about algorithms, how they rule our society. I think there was a Wired article and there was a number of other articles that, that, that talked about how these people. So I just kind of like, what is fictional is the story of those two guys. There's a fake, there is a, a real stock exchange in Kansas, but we made it a fictional stock exchange in, in Kansas. And there was never a line that was actually dug between Kansas and New York. There were, I think there were a number of other smaller lines. There was like a huge line between Chicago and New York. But quickly, what I wanted to do is kind of like, I almost, once the basic script was written, it was almost as if I was that contractor building the line. I literally, you know, with, with my production designer, we first we took a road trip from Kansas, around Kansas, all the way to New York, but I discovered that there's a lot of the Amish community that live there. We actually discovered that they raised uh, camels, which I didn't know at all, that we, but we couldn't bring uh, camels on our set, so that didn't work out. That was easy. But then you know, we brought in all of the experts, the fiber optics, and uh, there's, a, there's a positive shit story in the movie, which is actually his own story. So that, that's what I mean when I say you know, it's a fictional story, but in a way, you could almost say it's based on real facts, like plurally, you know? 
Yeah, no, completely. Would you say that the script kind of found itself through production or that you head into production with a fully completed script? No, that's what's fascinating. Anyway, I would love to do stories. I love, just as I love that first meeting in a hotel room with my actors when they're like, uh, oh, well, you we shouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no, but you know, you, you go in a hotel because everybody like comes into New York or let's say from LA and uh, you sit everybody down uh, in a suite and you have food and wine and you read the script with all of the actors and you discover who the characters are. That's kind of like one of the, you know, the greatest moments of filmmaking for me because it, it, uh, it nourishes so much of who the characters are. And I usually substantially rewrite the script once that is so it was the same case for the technology in this film i almost write i almost wrote in the script literally like there's this black box that brings this data from uh i don't know minnesota to whatever and then i had it read by experts and they told me oh yeah that black box is called blah 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 uh, amplifier and it's this i'll give you a picture about it and we can get you the those for the film and it was the same for those digging machines. We, we literally brought 20 ton machines in the middle of forest. And that it was really like if we were digging a tunnel, filming this film was almost like doing the tunnel. Yeah. Now, you mentioned before bringing in the actors to read the script. And someone like Jesse Eisenberg, for example, I, I, you know, I could totally see why he's perfect for this part. I mean, you know, with roles such as the social network before and even playing Lex Luthor, you know, I, I could definitely <laughs> see why that is ideal casting for Vincent Zaleski. But Alexander Skarsgård as Anton Zaleski, you got to You got to explain this one to me and how, how you came to this, because he is completely playing against type here. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, my friend Jean-Marc Vallée, who you might know from uh, all the great yep. TV series he's done recently, um, I don't want to name the titles because I'm going to get them wrong, but if you remember, uh, you can name them. He did Dallas Cowboy, uh, Dallas uh, Buyers Club. Dallas Buyers Club, yep, Demolition, Big Little Lies. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're very familiar. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so I love his work, and uh, he's, he's also uh, homegrown in Montreal, but I... Uh, I saw the work that he did with Alexander, but I also, there was this uh, movie where he had a smaller role. It's called, I think, The Teenage Diaries or The Teenage, you know what I mean? You know it's The Diary of a Teenage Girl. Exactly, Diary of a Teenage Girl. And he has a small role, but he's amazingly unrecognizable. And seeing Big Little Lies and seeing that, I knew that he wanted to go elsewhere. He, like, he was tired of, of being Tarzan from some once in a while and being super gorgeous hunk, you know, everybody hates that once in a while. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> he wanted to go the other way, and I love that. I love that he was very courageous. I think that once people are comfortable with who they are and how they look, there's something really freeing about, I just want to go wherever you need to go. I'm just going to do the character. Well, that was definitely uh, an interesting choice on his part, and definitely made for a very entertaining movie. And speaking of of which in terms of that level of entertainment, I, I want to ask you about some of your cinematic influences for this, actually, because there's a couple of contemporary films that I immediately thought of while watching, but I'm sure that you had plenty in mind, uh, you know, from your own, uh, maybe from Canada or, you know, American films. I'm not exactly sure, but if you could tell us some of those influences, that would be awesome. Uh, you know what? Off the bat, it's like, I don't, I don't have like specific, uh, I, what the one thing I knew is that over the couple of last films I did, there was a kind of like a search for a, a, col a color 
unity and a kind of reduced palette, uh, palette. Can you say that in English? A reduced color palette. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and that that wasn't the case at all. And this film wanted to go copy and really use the contrast between different locations and to kind of like well, what we wanted to do was stay away from the technical precision of the stock market. We wanted to go warm and use old lenses. We went anamorphic and used uh, the Hawk lenses, the Hawk VCC uh, lights, which have like the totally acknowledged that they're looking for a 70s look with the, and you know, they the warp uh, at the, from the size of the lenses. So that's one, mm-hmm. one of the things we wanted to go for. We also wanted it to be very kin- uh, kinetic. And in a way, it doesn't have anything to do with this film, but I would have to pay tribute to, uh, you know, Ocean's Eleven and all of that genre, uh, which is like, we wanted to delve into the heist movie, definitely. And I, I, it's, not a, it's definitely not a heist movie, it's but. There is there are elements of that in the editing and the way the film is. Yeah, it's interesting that because you're right, it's not it's not a heist movie. It's not even really like so much a I I don't even know if this is a term, but like a business movie. It's it's a movie about these two individual characters and the pursuit of a dream that they both have. And I don't know. I, I was very very struck by. This uh, this pursuit of what is the perceived American dream <laughs> and what people were willing to do in order to obtain it. And I, I wanted to just get your thoughts on that message, because that was something that really resonated with me, the pursuit of a dream of some sort and how you're willing to cast aside more important things in order to achieve it. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, truth be told is what I, one thing I realized is one reason I wanted to do, I, I realized that subconsciously probably one of the reasons I was doing this film is because I, I totally relate to the lead character <laughs> where you're doing something, uh, you know, in the movie business, you do, you're doing something and you're fighting so hard. And, you know, literally you see people who are risking their lives. You see people who go through windows, break glass, you see shards of glass fall on their head. There's blood from their forehead, and the guy tells, and then the producer tells you, Kim, that's going to be an extra 500 because he got some blood on his forehead. Do you want to take another take? We still have budget for about two takes of this guy going through a window. And, you know, the first time that happened, it didn't happen a lot in my career, but when those fun things or other things happen, or you see somebody, you tell him it's so urgent, and he literally risks his life on the road to bring like a t shirt or wardrobe, you kind of lose sense of what's important in life. And I try not to do that anymore. I, before I go on set, uh, before we start, they want a photography. I mentioned to everybody, when we say urgent, it doesn't mean that it means risking somebody's life. But you do forget, you forget about that sometimes when you're in the middle of, of doing it. So I totally relate to this character. There is that. I hope that in the film, there is a, a discussion about the madness of our financial system, definitely. But uh, and on a you know on a second level, I think there's a, a a question about what our priorities are in life and our also our yeah. relationship to time. I guess. Yeah. No, that was a very interesting one because they're talking about milliseconds, not even like seconds, milliseconds. Yeah. And it's amazing how much rides on those milliseconds in this movie and how much they're willing to try to obtain just even one millisecond and what a difference that makes. I, I find that very, very fascinating. And it does, like you said, call into question uh, these different themes. 
tell me, I asked it before about working with Jesse and Alexander. Uh, I'm a Better Call Saul fan. Tell me what it was awesome. like working with Michael Mondo. Well, you know what? Uh, uh, I love Michael's work, but I didn't know how it was going to turn out for the work. And, admit, and when such an amazing actor, his range and his commitment to the character is amazing. Like, I, yeah. I definitely, it's definitely someone I want to work with. He's dedicated on every single aspect of of, uh, of production, and it's all for the service of his character. I, I was really, really, uh, you know, I was I, I felt I was blessed to work with this guy. Uh, I, uh, and he has, I find that really good actors have this ring where they can be very powerful, but they can also be very vulnerable. And I find that Michael carried that. Now, I, I have to ask then, too, because... Uh, you know, it seems like, as I was saying before, Jesse Eisenberg feels like ideal casting. Alexander Skarsgård feels like not so ideal casting, but I can see, based on what you said, why you'd cast him. Michael Mando fits the role perfectly. How did Salma Hayek come on board? How did how did this all come to be? Well, I love I, Salma Hayek. I didn't, who, who doesn't, right? But uh, yeah, it was like of course. Casting, and you you try to figure out. You have a couple of ideas. You can't. Let's be let's be honest. You can't go out and have one single actor or actress because you never know what are their availabilities, what they're working on, what are have they done a movie that's exactly on the same theme of your script? That's usually like the one thing where they say even if you have a great script, they won't do it because you just did the same thing in a in the previous film, but you didn't do that. That's one thing. But anyway, so. Salma was available, and I love the idea. Truth be told, in the very first draft of the script, the character she uh, she uh, she does was a male, and we thought it was important to just like, you know, enrich and enliven the the dynamic by making her a female character. Mm-hmm. And when Salma uh, was that, I said, what I loved about it, I love the idea that there's you know there's there is in Mexico. A higher hierarchy where there are like super rich magnets, you uh, often that own like uh, cell phone lines and all and all of that and, uh, and communications network communication networks. So I love that idea that on the subtext there was this character who's from Latin America who perhaps maybe through her background she inherited some money from. But, but you know, like some uh, something like an oligarch, RT or something, and then she went on the stock market in New York, and I I thought that that character made made it interesting. Yeah, no, it most certainly did. Her scenes were always uh, full of a lot of energy, and that was uh, something that this film had plenty of at times. I've got. Two last questions for you here. Sure. One is a basic question. The other one's definitely going to be uh, maybe one that might need to be thought about a little bit. I'll start off with the hard one first. <laughs> you ready? Yes. All right. Kim, what for you is at the end of the line? <laughs> uh, time. Yeah, I think time. I think we're all looking for time. Uh, uh, like, but oriented to the the real most important things of our lives. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. And I guess then the next question is, I mean, this film premiered back at uh, Toronto back in September. Uh, It's getting its release on March 15th here in the States. And so enough time has passed that I have to ask you, um, do you have any other current projects in development? Uh, What can we expect to see next from you? Well, it's, it's so, it's so 
interesting in the last uh, in the last couple of months. I worked on a script that was based that addressed uh, AI, artificial intelligence, and finally dropped it after doing numerous different versions of it. And I'm kind of like I'm having like a hard time writing efficiently these days. I'm doing so many drafts of, of, of different stories I'm working on, working on two stories basically. And then I was offered a couple of superhero movies. <laughs> but who isn't? Who isn't <laughs> offered a superhero movies those days? Nowadays. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, nowadays, sorry. And, uh, you know, I got a couple of scripts that are interesting. So I don't know what's coming up next, but I'm focusing on, on writing and I'm trying to get myself the right amount of time to get it right. You know what I find is that when you write a script, the hardest, the hardest thing to find is like to know when it's time to read the very first draft you've written and then take the bits of pieces of the, the very last draft and stick that on to the first draft that you've ever written. What's harder, writing or directing? Um, both have their challenges. I think in a way, directing is very hard because I, like in indie film, I think directing is very hard. I think that writing is it's harder to, it's very hard, it's much harder to master in a way. Um, because you're not surrounded by a team. You know, once you have a great team, you're already, 50% of the game is already won and while you're directing. Yeah. But writing, the thing is that as soon as you think that you master it, that you nail it, you're failing. That's the thing. Like, it's, it's, it's a never, it's an ongoing transforming process. You know? But I, that's why I love it too. So learn to be comfortable with failure. I, I, I like that. I like that uh, that message there. It's one more question that I was going to ask you, but I'm glad that you uh, gave me the answer. Well, thank you so much for your time today and talking about the Hummingbird Project. Uh, we wish you absolutely the best with this and anything else you have coming on down the road because you know, you're know you hopping around between different genres and you're definitely exploring a lot of different storytelling techniques, and we're excited to see where that goes. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for watching the film. I hope you guys, the your audience is going to like it. Yeah, yeah, I hope so as well. And for all those people that are listening, March 15th, The Hummingbird Project. Be sure to check it out in theaters being released by The Orchard. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you. Take care. All right, you as well. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with the writer and director of the film The Hummingbird Project, Kim Nguyen, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, SoundCloud, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate any feedback that you can give us, as well as your support, which can be provided over at Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, 
toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, I think that was good enough. I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> no.